Hello and welcome to the Head Stuff Podcast. This is the Kevin Barry episode. There's Connor. Hello, Alan. How are you doing? Uh, I was very, very excited about this episode. Yeah, you were very excited. Yeah. <laughs> when I came in here earlier, you were like a like a giddy child. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't normally get too nervous, but a little bit. I mean, Kevin Barry is, he's definitely one of the best writers in Ireland and therefore the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's an incredible writer. Um, he's got four books since out since 2007, and we talk about them in this episode. Uh, there Are Little Kingdoms, uh, City of Bohan, Dark Lies the Island, and Beetlebone. And every one of them is just brilliant. You should... I, I recommend everyone to read all of them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, I was very excited. <laughs> yeah. He was really uh, interesting... Yeah. guy to talk to as well oh god yeah very uh, modest yeah but, <laughs> yeah you know and uh just very uh i don't know i don't know like kind of in his own little world in a good way <laughs> he's well able to talk yeah um not in his own world but he you know he, he he refers to you know living in sligo and kind of isolated yeah and then venturing out into society almost <laughs> yeah. like kind of like in gathering information and then going back to his shed yeah and stuff that's like that, just you know? that's just the last few years that's like since yeah, his first book or just before his first book because before that he lived in well Limerick and before and that's where he grew up then he lived in I think Liverpool and Barcelona San Francisco New York as well yeah he? he's lived everywhere yeah so it's Brilliant. very strange now that he's kind of settled in uh, yeah. in Sligo but um, look it's working for him it is so maybe uh, we should all move to Sligo yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe and get ourselves a little shed as he describes in the it sounds amazing it sounds great the whole yeah. time you're saying that I was thinking fuck I wish I had a shed I could just go and hide in yeah. <laughs> just, you kind of do yeah. I kind of do a bit yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know I don't think there's too much we can say about this I think I just urge everyone to go and listen to it because uh, he's much more interesting than we are <laughs> yeah he says he does say a lot of things that make you go you know make you Make you think, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even little things like he's talking about the internet, and you know, and he was saying yeah. about how, uh, you know, he tells himself, "Okay, the internet is switched on at midday." Yeah. You have to give yourself that time off in the morning. I was thinking, geez, I'm actually going to try that because yeah. you do reach for your phone and you, you know, fucking check shite on the internet mm. first thing in the morning, and then it's in your head, like you're saying, it's there. You're in you know internet zone. internet mode mode yeah. and so basically what i'm saying is nobody should go near headstuff.org hey <laughs> before, if you before have to go on the internet <laughs> if you have to go on the internet headstuff is good because it, the quality is so great yeah but not before 12 <laughs> okay fine that's the new that's the new rule uh, well, I suppose that means that we can stay in bed until 12 as well then because <laughs> <laughs> we've nothing to be doing. That kind of implies that we're in the same bed. I was going to point out, we live in different towns. Wasn't necessarily talking about you. but yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> the episode begins with Kevin Barry reading the first page of Beetlebone. He's a phenomenal reader, real theatrical, so it's fascinating to hear him read his own work. Uh, we also have a signed hardback copy of Beetlebone to give away. So make sure you listen to the end of the podcast to find out how you might win that. So I won't keep you any longer. This is the Kevin Barry episode of the Headstuff Podcast. He sets out for the place as an animal might, as though on some fated migration. There is nothing rational about it, nor even entirely sane. And this is the great attraction He's been travelling, half the night east, 
and nobody has seen him. If you keep your eyes down, they can't see you. Across the strung-out skies and through the eerie airports, now he sits in the back of the old Mercedes. His brain feels like a city centre and there is a strange tingling in the bones of his monkey feet. Fuck it, he will deal with it. The road unfurls as a black tongue and laps at the night. There's something monkeyish isn't there about his feet. Also his gums are bleeding, but he won't worry about that now. He'll worry about it in a bit, save one for later. Trees and fields pass by in the grainy night. Monkeys on the fucking brain lately, as a matter of fact. Anxiety. He hears a blue yonderly note from somewhere. Perhaps it's from within. It's amazing. Um, I, I've... <laughs> <laughs> it's, so I've seen you reading before. Uh, it's People always talk about how good you are at, at readings. I haven't seen you reading from Beetlebone yet. Yeah. Now, when you're doing... John Lennon when you're doing John I don't Lennon do Doyle. a Scouser accent you don't do it no no, no. I, I, I can do a Liverpool accent because I lived there for, for two years yeah and I can do it anyway but it doesn't really sound like John Lennon it sounds more like Stephen Gerrard oh. <laughs> <laughs> or Jamie Carragher yeah. you know <laughs> it's kind of all right it's kind of a Liverpool accent so it's um, and John Lennon's actually is quite a posh Liverpool yeah. accent it's South Liverpool he was from despite his protestations to be a working class <laughs> hero he was from quite he grew up with his aunt an uncle, and uncle, and they lived in quite a nice leafy suburb in South Liverpool. So he he would have been quite a almost posh Liverpool accent, you right. know. So it's um he would have been the posher one of the four actually. Okay. Um, if such a thing exists. George yeah. and and Paul and Ringo would have been from ordinary terrace houses on the way into town, okay. whereas he was that bit further out in the leafy suburbs. Um, very very strange though to 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 live in Liverpool, which was in zero four to zero six, I think. And to see things all the time, like seeing Penny Lane written up on buses yeah. and seeing signs for yeah. strawberry fields yeah. and things like that. So it brings it all very much kind of into your immediate surroundings. I got very excited the first time I was there and I saw those places as well, strawberry yeah. fields and yeah. Yeah, geez, yeah they're yeah. real, you oh know. God, yeah. <laughs> well, that's where they got the idea for that. And yeah. it's, it's, it's weird. I, I moved to Liverpool. My then girlfriend, now wife, was, was working there, which is why we moved from, we had been in Edinburgh for three years and I loved Edinburgh, really liked living yeah. there. And I kind of whinged about Liverpool for two years while I was there. I was giving out about it and grousing yeah. about it. Um, because Edinburgh is a very gorgeous, pleasant yeah. city and Liverpool can be rough enough around the edges, <laughs> you know. But as soon as we left it then, we moved back to Ireland and as soon as we left it, I really missed it. And I was kind of getting really homesick for it, you know. Right. And it's kind of like I'm always... Um, I'm never happy at the time. I was ha- happy in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that was great. As soon as I leave a place, oh, the good old days. Is you that know? why you've lived in so many places? Yeah, I, I guess I, I've been settled more or less now, though, since we came back in in 2006. Right. Um, we've been more or less in County Sligo most of the time since then. I mean, I'm always up and down here and things like that. But um, I have the books. So no, that was the first time we we I owned a property. Right. Um, so that was the first time I kind of had a steady kind of base which has been great you know I mean it's not it's not the joys of life all year round in, in a swamp in County Sligo but it's um, <laughs> and like it like it, it can be fucking evil in the winter you know yeah. um, this winter was just November 1st it started raining and not just misty ethereal west of Ireland rain it started fucking apocalyptically falling <laughs> and for 10 weeks solid it yeah. rained heavily every day and oh. we just went I, I, I always bolt in January yeah. go off to Spain and stuff and go and we were in Berlin for a while just to get out you know 
but it's great it's great because it's 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 cheap to live in an old house in South County Sligo and that's yeah. the main thing for writers the best yeah. writing advice is to keep your overheads low yeah, yeah. you can have <laughs> good years and bad years you know it's very unpredictable what way money will be so it's to have a cheap base is, um, yeah. is a great thing it means you can go off on little jaunts and trips you know yeah yeah be very hard now. It's it's weird. I, I know. I, I, by the way, I ramble a lot, as you know. <laughs> you don't really have to ask any questions. Yeah, that's, that's I just go on <laughs> for the day. But it's um, makes our job easier. What you know is that I mean, the traditional thing for writers, I guess, was that you'd go and live in a big city. You know, you'd live in Paris or New York or London or something and be a writer. Yeah, but it's very hard now because you just mm. won't be able to afford to. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. writers can't afford to live in New York anymore. Or no. London, you know, it's just physically not possible. Berlin is maybe one of the last big cities where you could do it. Even Dublin would be very hard, you know. Yeah. So expensive now yeah. to, to pay rent and all that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's my my big theory is that the smaller places are the are the future for for artists and writers and creative yeah. people, you know. And then they, the overheads are low, and you can make a go of it. And do you need that? Do you need to be able to? Um, live in different places or, and, or, or even live where you are now in Sligo and then be able to travel to other places in, in order to maybe get oh, I think ideas for yeah I, th- I, I think it's very it's very important to get out of the house like um, you know I have a nice I have a, I have a very nice shed <laughs> in Sligo behind the house it used to be a stable it's an old Garda station previously an RIC barracks so it was the stable and then it was our coal shed but um, I won a prize and we got a got a man to do it up for us. <laughs> it's um, it's very cozy now, but I you know I have to get out of the shed as well. I can't just sit there comfortably all the time, or I'll end up writing a novel about a fella in a shed. <laughs> Inevitably, you know, and put a fucking gun to me if you hear that I'm at that. Um, so, and I notice actually with all the all the short stories and the novels or scripts or whatever I'm writing, it nearly always the original idea is a place. Almost always, it's it's right, the place okay. that gives the 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 inspiration for something. Yeah, that, I want uh, to ask you about that actually, because mm. even even like the titles of your books is you know kingdoms, uh, city, island, like yeah, straight yeah. away it's always place. Yeah, and um, and it's weird when my when the first one came out, when the first book of stories came out there, the kingdoms, I started doing readings and events, and and people ask you know where the, where did the stories come from, and I developed this very um, eloquent kind of answer about found dialogue and Hiberno English and all this stuff and I'd be trotting this out you know <laughs> and I was listening to myself one day I was going this is actually complete bollocks like, this is <laughs> this is completely made up because it, it, it struck me it's actually always the place you mm-hmm. know I could pick any one of the stories and tell you where I was when when the notion come and it's usually very often it's it's uh, getting out on my bike I take my bike out around the west of Ireland in the summer and go cycling for a few days I learned to drive a couple of years ago at the age of forty-four. Um, I'm still on a provisional license, <laughs> but um, I'm not. I'm not Russian, but that's been great. It's really opened up my my radius, you know. <laughs> Drifting around, like on Roscommon, I go. Oh, I can go up there, up these old boreings, you know, and see what you find. And it's um, it's great freedom. Like I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, I'm planning on mounting some expeditions into Donegal this summer because it's kind of the last bit of the Atlantic coast I don't know okay. at all you know it's going to be a Donegal novel then inevitably I'll have to write in a Donegal accent for a while yeah <laughs> a lovely soft mellifluous Donegal accent do you have more ideas than you can keep up with I have I mean I, I, I start loads of stories and, 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 and they don't get anywhere you know mm. um you can tell very fairly quickly if something has a bit of um, real momentum under it, um, but I would say 
you know, I probably try about a dozen short stories a year, but only two or three will ever really get any kind of a proper finish on them. Right. Or, 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 or will ever be shown to anyone or sent outside the door of the house, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think at some level it is it is kind of very important as any kind of writer or artist or musician to try and finish everything you start. Mm. Everything you drag up onto the desk, try and finish it. Um, even if you know it's kind of bad or crap while you're doing it because I think it's very important to have a kind of an ethic, you yeah. know, a kind of a professional ethic about it. Yeah. Would you do that even if you were, you know, halfway in and you decided I will. this isn't great? Yeah, but I'd plough on because you never know what'll show up in the last stretch of something that yeah. might that might really transform the whole thing. Right. And okay. it might be that that last bit is really the first bit of your story or something, do you yeah. know what I mean? You learn um, by you learn I, do, by I, I think that you only earn, earn the good ones if you finish all the bad ones because you learn... Yeah. The ancient thing you learn so much from your mistakes and yeah. from your failures as 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 you go along. Um, yeah, that's true. But it's uh, yeah, I I do try and finish everything to some degree, the story. So it means there are hundreds of things lying around that I completely forget about. I pick up stuff. Mm. I just can't remember, right? <laughs> at all, you know? uh, and even though you know I was I was thirty seven when my first book came out, and there's only four books so far, and there's been a couple of plays and short films and stuff, but. Mm. I, I write reams, you know. <laughs> I yeah, write yeah, loads yeah. of stuff. Um, but that's four books in eight years. That's that's, that's not that's bad now. Yeah, enough. yeah. It's yeah. been more or less every couple of years since 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 I since I got going. But mm. I I have a habit, generally a life of being a late starter. You know, yeah. I was in forty four learning to drive. Yeah, <laughs> I learned to cycle a bike with about fifteen. No, no joke. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to swim when I was twenty nine. Well. But I'm a flyer then when I get going, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, it's kind of delayed. Yeah. <laughs> process of getting there. Um, and uh, as well as the four books, there has, there, as you say, been other things. There's been literary essays and radio plays and yeah. you're, you're talking about I, I doing love, a play as well. I love writing. Uh, yeah, I've, I've written, I've written two and a half plays in the last six months and, and it, it'll be three soon, I think. Okay. I'm very, very drawn to it. Yeah. I've, um, done a couple of bits in theatre I had a play in Cork in 2008 one in Galway in 2010 um, just small things but I've really enjoyed doing them you know mm. kind of again because it gets you out of the house and right. you get to talk to people for a while and <laughs> yeah. you get to have colleagues and workmates for yeah. a while um, which is a great thing you know because it's um, my background is in in my 20s I was working as a freelance journalist which is um, you know you're not getting rich but you're it's sociable, you know, you're, you're getting out and about and you're doing things. Um, whereas writing the books, it's you and four walls and mm. and you're kind of staring, you know, <laughs> and, and, and going slowly nuts a lot of the time. So it's, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed trying the plays and uh, and hopefully now, I think inside the next year, there'll, there'll be one or two things definitely happening. And I'll, I'll keep you posted where and when. Um, but there, there I, I remember, I think I was talking to my namesake Sebastian Barry who's, who's of course a playwright as well as um, as a novelist and he was saying about plays you know that the, the good ones come in about a week or two you know oh, you okay. get a, they tend to come yeah. in a bit of a flash and you get them down very quickly and that seems to me the, the way you can think about them for years mm. and have the vague notion kind of planted there yeah. but they tend to the actual writing tends to be a very yeah. quick process you know and that's you the know? same f- sorry go same for you with novels as well though isn't it you, you say about your immersive oh, change well, I, I was I was hoping so after right. the first one because I wrote City of Bond very quick inside a year mm. um, I wrote the first draft in 10 weeks or 11 weeks then it's been about another 6 months and then another couple of months so it was very quick and I was convinced Beetlebone would be even quicker but it was um, it ended up taking years really 
four years or something. Not constantly four years on the desk, but coming and going for it for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it was very um, difficult because of the nature of it was that it was an iconic person, yeah. a real person. And I, jeez, oh, I, I started it off in this very kind of happy mood thinking this is a fucking marvellous idea how come nobody thought of doing this before <laughs> <laughs> and inside about three weeks looking down at the pages going oh Jesus this is very hard like yeah. um, because you're giving yourself an immediate huge disadvantage because every reader is going to open the book with a preconception mm-hmm. of what he should sound like mm-hmm. and this is what I want him to sound like almost mm-hmm. um, so it meant an awful lot of work to, to, to and lots of useless drafts and reams and reams to get anything like a voice for him that I was happy with you know yeah took a long while Um, but I I wouldn't particularly like to spend four years with the one novel on a desk again it's a long time you know and it's um, and you you need a lot of patience and the, the thing with novels as well is that if you spend four years on one you're a different person at the by the time you finish it yeah. or when you start it and that makes it weirdly hard to keep a consistent tone her note going through it kind of worked okay for Beat a Bum because it's meant to be kind of mad yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> it is a guy kind of cracking up yeah um, so it's meant to be kind of emotionally all over the fucking shop but um did you get to a point in it when when you were you're were, you were doing that thing where you're thinking uh, this is am one I going mad or this yeah. is one of the bad things I'm not going <laughs> f- I'll finish this because that's the that's the craft yeah oh there was I was kind of doing endless drafts of it and I was kind of each one was giving me just enough to go oh, I might this this that line there could almost sound like him that's enough to keep on going for right, for, okay. for, for a while you know um, and you it, it was kind of when I gave him a sidekick really when his driver became this character Cornelius who yeah. becomes this kind of spiritual guide around <laughs> the west of Ireland when, when he stepped forward and started mounting and when they started talking, it kind of yeah. came to life for me. So he wasn't in the original Futurist? Well, he was, but he was just a driver, not doing very much, oh, okay. the odd comment. And then suddenly he moved forward and it sort of, um, once I made John part of a double act, essentially. Yeah. It was... It was. Well, it seems like one of the most important parts of the novel oh, now is the friendship. So, yeah, and that didn't happen for, for about at least the first year or so, really, you know. Okay. Um, like I was, I was uh, yeah, I was going through all sorts of um, versions and reverberations with it and doing it in the first person and the second person the third person and the past tense and the present tense and eventually I just kind of threw them all in yeah. <laughs> you know? and so we'll try it all and, and, and see how it goes but it was um, it was a, it was a really lovely book to to get out of the house yeah yeah and to go oh, yeah. goodbye you know it, it was nice to get it off the desk it, I realised that it was clearing up a huge amount of headspace <laughs> when, <laughs> I, when I when I um, when I got it off the desk you know because you are kind of you do have to necessarily become quite obsessive about it with novels you know and yeah. you're always in it then you, yeah you kind of are you know you're kind of distracted yeah. a lot of the time and you're I find the last kind of year on it and it was the same the last few months on City of Bohan very intense really you're um and you don't switch off from it much at all, you know, and probably not great fun to live with. And um, I find I'm not sleeping well because um, it'll start racing around my 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 brain at night. So it's um, in some ways the short stories and the um, the plays are are more attractive propositions because <laughs> they're as mad and intense, but they're quicker. Yeah, you know, yeah, you can yeah. get them, you can go yeah. in and out quicker and like with a short story I think it's almost like writing a song or something probably mm. you know it, it, it's ver- it can be a very quick two or three day process uh, it's interesting the whole process seems to be very similar to 
what musicians you know say about writing music like say an album being written that has 10 songs the artist could have written 100 songs for yeah. that 10 songs the same way as you're saying that you've oceans and oceans of yeah. things that you've you've done just to get this one yeah release. and I was I was like I was cleaning out the um, the shed after I'd finished it and I was kind of doing a rough count boxes of shit like we're coming out you know to various traps and it's like it's a short novel it's about um, 50,000 words or something which is pretty short um, but I was doing a rough count and I probably wrote 350, 400,000 words wow. to get it down to that and that it's, seems like a very uneconomical working process Um but that's that's increasingly the way I go. I, I I like to do the kind of drafts very quickly and not kind of worry too much about the mm-hmm. sentences or the English or or the language or and just so I want to get loads of stuff mm. that I can then then start cutting at because I like editing and I like yeah, cutting. How do you find that if you're saying getting from three hundred thousand down to fifty? Yeah, I, I I just I just I just, I just like the process. I feel useful when I'm editing, you know. Right. I like when, when you have a scalpel <laughs> almost in your hand and you're really cutting away at it. Um, are, are to use a fairly kind of well, well-worn well analogy, it's like, you know, a sculptor has a block of stone and has to chip away at it to find a shape mm. in there, you know. Um, and it's amazing how much you can cut and, and, and still the thing is kind of standing up. Because you realise what when you're doing those early drafts, so much of what you're putting down is scaffolding, mm-hmm. you know, just to try and make the thing yeah. Yeah. kind of stand up yeah, yeah. on the page. And then the fun bit is actually when you're going, on, well, if I take that away, Oh, it's still standing. Oh, <laughs> that, oh, you know, and keeping it balanced and keeping it, you know. Um, but yeah, it is It is an all-consuming kind of process. But I do, I do kind of try and remind myself that I'm not kind of down a coal mine either. Yeah. <laughs> laying roads, you know what I mean? That, and it's, 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 it's very nice that I can... I mean, one of the reasons I live in County Sligo is, is because it means I can just write, you know. Mm. If I was living in a city, just to go back to what we were talking about, I'd have to teach or something as well, probably, to, to, to pay the bills. Yeah. So I'm in a very fortunate position that I can just go off to my, my, my shed and, and light the fire and put on the music and, and, and work away for the day or for the few hours that I do, I do in there in the morning. So, it's, um, so you try and remember that it's quite a privileged position to be in as well to be able to do that which it, it sounds like a lovely shed <laughs> it's a very nice shed it, it's a cosy shed I have a great couch in it that I, I collapse onto for a while in the afternoons um, I have a great old couch from uh, that came from Amsterdam it was a 50s couch from Amsterdam oh, so you cool. can imagine what must have gone on in that couch <laughs> um, but yeah it's nice it's 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 um, but yeah it, 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 it's weird like I think writing or being any kind of an artist or any kind of a musician it's it's you have to keep a very careful balance where you kind of have to dip in and out of the world all the time you know you have to um, have your kind of seclusion and your isolated kind of disciplined periods of time where you're working you know where you're, where you're, you're going hard at it but also you have to you know, you have to be involved with people in the world mm-hmm. and listening to people and going around the place yeah. and getting into trouble, you know, <laughs> as well. You have to give yourself material yeah. also. So, that, but it's, 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 it's a balance, you know. Mm. Talking about editing there, when you're going doing your own books, what about, say, town and country or, or, or winter pages? Mm. When you're editing other people's work, uh, do, you, do you find that you like to take chunks out or is it, is it a different type of editing altogether? Oh no! You you have to be far more sensitive with other people's yeah. stuff than your own. You know, it's it's fine to upset yourself, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, 
No, I, I, I think you have to kind of just try and um, like, like with a lot of the stuff that I would commission for t- town and country are from um, or for winter pages. It would be from people I know to be really good writers and stuff. So I'm not going to be making much mm. in the line of suggestions about their sentences or anything like that. But it's uh, maybe sometimes with very young writers or debut writers who you're given a kind of a, a, a showcase to, you might make suggestions. Um, it's just kind of careful reading, really, and, and see what the writer is trying to do um, and, and and see what they're trying to do with the style on, on, on the page. Mm. But it's fun. It's, it, it, it's nice to um, <coughs> to break out of your own world mm. and look at the way other people operate and, 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 and deal with problems on the page all the time. And it can really free you up, you know. Mm. Um, so, so, no, it's something I really enjoy, actually. And it doesn't feel like work when you're editing right. other people's stuff, okay. you know, which is just being a reader, really, you know. Okay. Um, and it's 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 yeah it's 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 really it's a really kind of concentrated form of reading that you're doing. So it's 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 good for you as a writer, I think, as well. Um, and, and when you're and when you're right when you're say doing editing or writing short stories, plays, essays, screenplays, whatever it is, is it is it all just writing to you, or it, are they different? Do you have like do you prefer to do one type? Or? Yeah, like I, I've been trying, I've been writing loads of of scripts for films over the last few years, and it's um and I've there's been a few short films made now mm. lots of them based on short stories originally and there's a couple of features that I think have a very good chance a friend of mine worked on one of them actually oh really what um, one was w- that Wifey Redux oh right yeah that was yeah. out last in Dundee or something last summer yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Ernestine and Kit is another one that I just saw recently it's very good um, but yeah it's, uh, the scripts feel very different from writing prose fiction actually you feel like you're at about kind of 70% of capacity you know you're not using all your muscles right. and it can be quite dull work in some ways because there's a lot of kind of shifting characters around from A to B and, and just moving furniture <laughs> yeah. uh, on the page kind of a thing and it's it, it can a lot of it can feel kind of slow and, and, and tedious but the, the upside is you know you'll get a draft of the script done very quickly maybe in a few weeks right. or in a couple of months so it's um, they're very different I do think for, it's like there's two reasons for writers to try their hands at lots of things I think one is pragmatic as in very few writers now make a living purely as a novelist or purely mm-hmm. as a God help us as a short story writer <laughs> or something you know um, but I also think it, it it can really improve you in, in one area of your work to write to try other things to write in other areas you know um, writing screenplays tells you an awful lot about basic storytelling structure and very often actually about how little you need on the page to, mm. to keep the story moving along you know I remember doing the first script for um a short film and I had it I thought I had it paired to the bone you know yeah. and, and then seen it in rough cuts and gone Jesus I could have cut way way <laughs> more like this you know yeah. it's amazing um, and it, it, I, I had this kind of project that didn't quite come to fruition it might yet with a, a Spanish artist called Ali Marcado a friend of mine in Kilkenny who's a who does who draws who does a great graphic illustrator we were trying to get a graphic novel together and um learned an awful lot about storytelling just from watching the way Ali works right. in pictures, you know, frame by frame by frame and thinking how much or how little you need of a of a of a kind of a skeleton frame to keep a story going. Um so yeah, try try lots of things. I, I, I regret not um spending time writing plays when I was younger because I think there's so much to learn with that craft. Mm. It would have been very useful <laughs> to yeah. have a few years warming up to yeah. it, you know. Um I, I think if anyone anyone who's listening is writing um, 
it's 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 important to think that they're don't get caught up in the notion of the novel as young writers often do i have to write the great novel you know think mm. you know it's far easier to get a play put on in a room over a pub yeah than it is to get a book out it's hard to get a novel out yeah and if you get a play put on over the room in a pub and you make your friends the actors and you make yourself the director you will learn so much mm. about your work in front of an audience of three people and a dog and two of them are your aunts kind of thing but you'll learn so much and it's um, it's something I wish I'd done younger actually I think um, when you have to it, it's the few experiences I've had when you have to sit in a room watching a piece of yours with people you know it's terrifying but you learn yeah. a vast amount about mm-hmm. about everything in the work about the comedy in it about everything else about lines you're convinced are going to get laughs that just go complete yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and know, the opposite and the opposite <laughs> yeah. you know, I, Jesus and I'm always amazed by that doing readings actually as well of of the short stories the lines that get laughs um, in Ireland especially people are very dark <laughs> <laughs> stuff that they laugh at I remember the handsome family saying that actually uh, years ago in my journalism freelance days interviewing the handsome family great are they based in New Mexico I think but they're right very kind of gothical new country songs about suicides and about crazy stuff and um, I remember interviewing the girl Rennie the songwriter and she was saying you know we tour around the world with this stuff and people look at it and nod their heads somberly and we come to Ireland everybody laughs all the way through the <laughs> show you know so it's um, yeah. laughter in the dark is the phrase for, for Irish people and their humour you know yeah and, and have you an interest then in, in directing would you like to direct your, one of your own plays I don't know really um, I, uh, they're very mixed um feelings about that I think I think it can be hard for playwrights to separate themselves enough from mm. from the work um, I think I'd rather the experience I've had is to go in very the first few days of rehearsals and then the last day or two of rehearsals and never right. looked in right. I think that maybe that's almost a better a better way of, of going at it you know um, to leave someone else bring it yeah you have to it's it's very different from the books where with, with the books you have you know your own stamp on it completely whereas when you write a play you have to leave your ego at the door when you're going into the rehearsals you mm. know because you have to um, it's going to be transformed by actors and made into a very different kind of thing um, and it can be an amazing experience and an awful one I'm sure um, but it's uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I can't imagine I'd have the I think I'd go nuts if I was trying to direct something actually <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to switch off at all from it you know I'd go, I'd go very mad very quickly. So that's, it probably won't be a good idea. <laughs> is it difficult for you? I've, I've, I read a quote, I don't know if it's r- correct or not, but you're talking about your ego and how your, your ego is a big, uh, what is it, like a, a monster of an ego or something? Something right, bursting out of you or something? I'm sure I did. So you I, you yeah, won't be happy until you're accepting a Nobel Prize for literature oh yeah, or something. Funny, like yeah, I made this kind of offhand <laughs> remark. <laughs> questionnaire in a, in, a, in a magazine years ago. Oh, right. And it was like, are you ambitious? So I said, oh, I won't be happy oh. until I'm getting the Nobel, you know. Okay, so bizarrely, any time I've been out of the country, I kind of, when a book has come out in Holland or in France or Spain or something, a few have come out now in foreign languages, the first thing, they asked me, Mr. Barry, you've stated very clearly <laughs> your desire to win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> so you realise that the irony bit doesn't transfer over. <laughs> but no, you have to be. But I mean, seriously, you have to be ambitious, you know. Um, if you weren't ambitious as a writer, you wouldn't do it, really. You know, you have, And it is a real statement of ego to say, I have something to say and mm. people should drop everything <laughs> and, and start reading it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you have to have a measure of it. That, like, I guess you have to try and keep in check without, so you don't turn into a megalomaniac. But no, ambition is very, very important fuel for, for, for 
trying to make anything. But how does that how does that ambition represent itself? Is it just to be continuing to make a living from writing books? Oh, I, I, I think so. I think that's, that's the, prizes the only don't come into kind it of, such, yeah, is it? I mean, I think the only real, and I try to view it always as the only real definition of, of, of success is that you can keep going, mm-hmm. you know, and you can keep doing it and keep getting away with it <laughs> and not having to go out and, 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 and work as well at, at doing something else that you don't want to be doing all day. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been lucky the first book of stories came out in 2007 and since then pretty much I've, I, I haven't had to work on anything else you know I've, I've just managed to keep going um, by getting prizes here and there and sort of bursary awards early on and, and just then selling a few books I've managed to keep going and and, and uh, no that's definitely something that I'm, I'm, I'm you know very quietly proud of I suppose that I, that, mm. that I can kind of make my live by the pen make my living by the pen you know well it's any artist's ultimate goal I suppose yeah. isn't it yeah. yeah and it's and it's hard now um and it's 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 again it's, it's that interesting thing it's um you have to be canny about it you know and you have to be cute and you have to decide where you're going to where you're going to base yourself as a fundamental thing um and also how you're going to operate um but it's uh, and of course for Decisions you make about your life generally are going to feed into the work itself, of course. You know, um, the fact that I, I, I'm living in a county Sligo swamp <laughs> is getting more and more into the work every day. Right. And the stories are getting closer and closer mm. to the swamp <laughs> every day um, and starting to circle around it. So where, where you place yourself in the world is going to influence everything that comes out. And if I think about writers I like, you know, and their work, how it was... Um, how a change was dictated over the years you know it's, it's it's very often got to do with where they put themselves in the work you know I mean like an Irish writer like John McGahern say mm. who who you know was was from a from a country background in Leitrim um, then was in Dublin teaching in the 60s and 70s but it was actually a decision he made late-ish on in his late 40s to move back to the countryside give us two or three late novels set there that were probably the the, the foundation of his his great and deserved reputation you know and very mm. often it's where you decide to put yourself in the world um, is, is going to really affect the work and can make or break it in lots of ways so it's a very important des- decision if you're if you're trying to start out as any kind of an artist is where am I going to go yeah you know um, you know you might decide just been spend some time in Berlin and there's loads of young artists and writers now who've moved to Berlin mm. because it's the last affordable metropolis really yeah um but the problem then is, do you have the same experience as all the other young writers and artists in, yeah, in Berlin and they all end up writing the same novel? Mm. Like they talk now about the Brooklyn novel that everybody is writing in Brooklyn. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of find it, finding your own patch is difficult, you know. But it's, um, I, I would have been amazed if you'd said to me kind of 15 years ago, you're going to end up living on the border with Sligo or Oscar. You know, at a car station. Bananas, like, but it was, um, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, I'm, I'm happy enough out there, even though it's very hard to get used to living in the countryside. I never had. Um, and it was, it was, it's a very strange experience when you suddenly, um, are living beyond streetlights. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you miss anything about you know. Ah well, I'm, I'm I'm kind of in towns or cities often enough that I'm I'm, I'm not completely cut off. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, I do find if I'm kind of more than about three weeks consecutively in the swamp, um, <laughs> I get a bit kind of stir crazy. All right, and have to go out somewhere for a few days. Um, most of the time, I like it. Winter is hard. The, the the 
the last stretch of winter, January, February into March is hard and it's a good time not to be there if you can manage it. Yeah. Um, no, I really like it. It's really, it's really, like the amazing thing about Ireland is, is how quiet it gets when you go inland, when you go off the coast, mm-hmm. you know. I go out on the bike around Loch Arrow is the lake we live by on a midweek morning for an hour or two, you know, and you literally, you can go for two hours and not pass a car and not see a sinner, yeah. see a few sheep and it's just so quiet and so almost eerily quiet, you know, yeah. um, and it's, um, yeah, no, it, it feels like a very good place to be and I feel very, um, definitely feels like home by now, you know, mm. it's, um, yeah, it's 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 strange. You can't predict where 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 you're going to end up and what it's going to do to the work and and all that. Now I'd be very interested to see how it feeds into the work now mm. over the next while as well. Just a quick one there. It's, it's interesting you said about before that about the translations into French and German. Mm. It's like just thinking about the language of City of Bohan. How yeah. does that work in French? Yeah, or? I, I God only knows. Yeah. Um, I, I understand that the German one was very good, actually, from, right. from, from what I gather. And do you know the, the translator? I met or? him. He was, he came over for a while and he was up in Anna McCarrick in the Writer's Centre. Okay. He's a really good translator and he had done a very good version of Clockwork Orange before. Okay. So I had a feeling, oh, that's 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 my man for sure on this one. Hadn't heard very much about the French one, so I didn't know what that was like. Right. I know there was two translators. One guy started did a couple of chapters and disappeared yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to give it to someone else but it's um, yeah it varies. you haven't a clue like you know, yeah, that's, you're uh, really having a clue what they're like is there I, more to it it might sound like a, a silly question but is there more to it than literally translating the book or is there other things that need to be done well, well? But I think very often in something like the city of Bohan while it's written in a, in a kind of a, a very strong you're making dialect, up words all over the place I make up words <laughs> a lot and there's an awful lot of kind of limerick slang and cork slang essentially right, okay. used in it as well fiends and bjors and all this <laughs> kind of stuff um, I, I, I don't you, it's weird some translators contact you a lot and ask you loads of questions and some you just don't hear a word from I've, like I Beetlebone and, and some of the stories have been translated into Dutch and I've had loads of back and forth con- conversation with the with the translator there a guy called Aki and, and, and I can tell he's um He's very good because he's asking the right questions, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all the way through. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange one um, to imagine what 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 these little worlds will be like translated. You know, is there any is there any of those books like the the German fella had t- had translated from German into English so that you can read his translation of a German book? Yeah, it'd be interesting, but but no, no, not to, not that I can recall, but it's. Um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of, there's an amount of kind of luck involved with it, I think, you know, yeah. you, can, you can land yourself with the right translator, true tr- 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 look, and, 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 and you l- you look at the books they've done before, I right. guess, really, yeah. and see, uh, is it even broadly right. in the book? Bo- Clockwork Orange seems like a good... Watch, uh, Clockwork Orange seemed like a very good kind of marker yeah. for, for, for this one, you know, so it was, um, it seemed like a good idea. Fucker Burke might be my favourite character name Fucker ever. Burke. <laughs> um, how, how important is, is naming characters? Like, how, how long do you spend thinking about names oh, of characters? They either come incredibly quickly and you have them in a flash or it takes forever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I have characters, I'm sure, in stories that I'm not quite happy with their, with their names. Um, I have a few story titles that I don't like as well, actually. But okay. it's, um, yeah, it, it, the names tend to have to come. If, if you like them, they come. Right, <laughs> okay. Not, it's very difficult, you know, naming characters. Do you ever characters. use real names? Um, Other than John no, Lennon. No, and, 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 and very rarely use... <laughs> yeah, like people you went to school with yeah. or anything like that. 
No, but maybe I guess you you kind of see it in retrospect. You see some name you've used. And you go, oh, that was a landlord or something. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Um, and very use I've only once ever directly based a character, well, apart from something like John Lennon, but a character on someone I knew personally. Um, in the first book of stories, and a guy who had moved to San Francisco years ago, so I thought, no way will he spot this. And it was just he's a small character, and he put it's just a very precise physical description of him and he, he was on to me about three days no after way. the book came out <laughs> an email hadn't heard from him in 15 years oh thanks very much for that Kevin he was <laughs> the guy from Derry so, he so it, it'll always get back to him but it's um, I don't know it's it's you are very scared when your first book is about to come out because you, you're obviously going to use stuff from family life and all mm. that and you think oh Jesus they're going mm. to kill me you know mm. um, has there ever been any awkward Christmas dinners no the strange thing is actually that they don't mind in mm. my experience and they spot it all like straight yeah. away where you got stuff from mm. but they don't mind so much and they start feeding you bits yeah, do you yeah. ever hear about such and such kind <laughs> of thing? Yeah, yeah. but I've heard scare stories from writers as well falling out with, with close really? relations and not talking for years and things yeah so it can it can go either way you know someone I've been lucky who was it someone had written a full novel and then somebody sued saying that the carriage was based on on this person and the author was claiming it wasn't but oh God, I, if you don't know the story yet then you might not know it but um he wasn't allowed to release a novel it was a finished novel I thought it was someone like Sebastian Barry or someone right you yeah, never heard I, that I, I'm sure this, the, the, these stories are kind of legion you know that there, mm. there's, there's so many of them I've been lucky so far mm. um, yeah I, and, and I guess often what I what I write myself tends to it might look like realism at first but it tends to drift off right. from realism very quickly yeah, yeah. Um, and goes into kind of strange places right on the edge of kind of believability which is kind of where I like to operate mm-hmm. often, to try and draw the re- the reader along where they're going. Ah, oh, come on, no way, you know. <laughs> but maybe just give it up. Oh, maybe so. Mm. So with something like City of Bohan, this is kind of, a, a, you know, a kind of a mad future version of Limerick or Cork, or a kind of combination of the two, essentially, in a homicidal future populated by teenage hipsters, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so so you know you're you're asking a lot of the reader and and. The only way to bring them along is line by line and sentence by sentence mm-hmm. and convince them with every kind of sentence as you move move through the process of it. Um, but and yeah, I, 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 I very rarely write kind of very direct realism, I'd say. Maybe in, in the first book of stories there's more in that line. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to let it drift off out to the edges. Right. At what point does... At what point when you're going through your loads and loads of drafts of Beetlebone and you've got your 300,000 words, do you decide that you need to be making an appearance? Um, or was that always the... Uh, oh, right. Yeah, I mean, at the, at, uh, yeah, at the, at the centre of the novel Beetlebone, there's essentially a, a personal essay where I, I, I come into it myself and talk about the making of the book. And it kind of came about accidentally, really. Right. Um, because I had notes written all over the place, you know, in different little notebooks and on the backs of envelopes and the backs of beer mats, <laughs> tapped into the iPhone. And <laughs> I said one day I must buy um, a nice new fancy kind of moleskin notebook and gather all my notes in one place. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of started transcribing them from everywhere. And as I did that, I was kind of telling the story straight about John Lennon buying this island and about how I was trying to get out there to have a look at it and as a very effortless paragraphs started to form mm-hmm. and this was the first time there had been any 
effortlessness in the whole <laughs> really? process of this book, you know. <laughs> so immediately you have to start paying attention when it's going easily, you know, when it seems natural. And as I started to write that stuff, I kind of very quickly felt like, oh, this is the heart of the book, really. And this has to go bang center of it, you know. Um, and I think it lifts the book. I, th- I, 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 th- I think it brings it up a little um, mm. because it's a it's a book about a guy trying to make a record, you know, and it's about creative process, really. Yeah, and it's about trying to make a novel or trying to make anything creatively. And what do you do? And you have to go into your own past and you have to go into your own dark places and you have to use all that material in quite a, a, a cold way. Yeah. Remove from it, um, which is what the book is about. And that essay gave me that very directly. Um, and I wrote it very quickly. I wrote it in about a week. I hardly needed to, to change a word kind of thing. And when, when it comes that easily, when it feels that finished on the page, you have to pay attention and go, okay, this mm. this kind of has to go in, you know? Yeah, it's it's very, like it is very jarring when you first, you get to that chapter. Mm. Um, and I was like, I was like, what's, what's happening here? It's kind of mad, like, you know, mm. and I was like, what what is happening? And then you go back to the start of the book and trying to remember how the book started. Um, and normally that's not a good thing in a novel mm. to, to, for something to really take you out of it. But it works really, really well because then you get into the essay. Well, I think what it is, it, it, what, what, keeps the readers it's still about getting to an island yeah the yeah. book is all about getting to an island about yeah what that might mean in your life in, in you know in any kind of sense metaphorically or, or kind of in a, in any way so I, I thought i would keep the reader if i kept it about being yeah trying to get to an island I, I i think i was just thinking more about i mean obviously that correlation is there i think i was just thinking more about your confidence as a writer like to be kind of brave enough to do something like that yeah. which isn't you know it's not a normal thing to do it, it was kind of yeah it was and you know what I, I kind of I thought by that stage in the book like I had the kind of double act up and running mm. and John and Cornelius and they were kind of rattling around happily enough in their van in County Mayo mm. I thought this kind of I'll get away with it yeah as this you know <laughs> and it's kind of good fun but I, I, I wanted something to lift it a bit above that I think I think the essay kind of does that really, in a way, um, because it goes into the heart of it mm. more, and it goes into and I, I hope it kind of gets more at what he b- might have actually been like as a character, um, by talking about it in a in a strictly non-fictional way for just a mm. while, um, and you know the the book does attempt to be a portrait of the artist I suppose mm. had a very difficult time creatively for him in his actual life when he wasn't really making songs you mm. know when they weren't coming um what might have been wrong and, and and the essay was a way into doing that um so yeah but it was definitely risky and there were definitely discussions with editors about where do you put it you know they were kind mm. of hinting it might be better to put this as a kind of an afterword at the yeah. end of the book but i thought no this is the centerpiece of it really and everything has to radiate back and forth from this um, were you interested then in to hear kind of public feedback on it yeah and I think uh, a lot of readers go with it some some don't some find it very jarring yeah um, but fuck it you have to take risks with it yeah yeah you know? and I thought as well once uh, actually about a year year and a half into writing this I started to get a voice from that I thought was kind of convincing I thought oh, yeah that sounds like it could be yeah. John Lennon and at that point I thought god I could do the real straight biopic yeah. version here <laughs> yeah. and that would be you know a very you know, good commercial idea to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought, oh, it has to be nuts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because its subject was quite fucking nuts. Yeah, like, yeah, quite yeah. wild mm. as an artist. I thought, God, you, the worst thing I could imagine doing was writing a safe novel mm. ab- about John Lennon. I thought I'd have to take risks with it and push it. Um, yeah. Was it ever a serious consideration to do that? Or? 
to to, to go down like a biopic no no I, I kind of but, but, but when I had the voice I thought you, you could do it now you know you could you could do the whole sort of proper biographical kind of novel treatment on it but I, no I, I was happy that I pulled back from from any notion of going in that direction but it's um, yeah you have to be kind of kind of half scaring yourself I hope a mm. lot of the time does that ever happen to you where you're you know you're writing and you decide you know actually this is a better play than it is a novel or this is a better oh, short yeah. story I think I think trying to recognise what the thing is can be half the battle on, yeah. the, on the desk definitely with the first book of stories there's a couple of pieces in that that are little plays for sure right. and, and little short films and yeah. stuff you know um but actually the biggest if there's a, I hate to say something like the trick of it with writing because it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to, to get any kind of a fix on but um, it's knowing what project should be on your desk at a particular time in your life mm. is very right. important um, I think very often the mistake that younger writers or emerging writers make they're trying to write novels that are years away from being able to write that's certainly what I was trying to do in my 20s mm -hmm. um, I think there's a very natural time lag before stuff in your life and in your emotions starts to properly come into your fiction. Um, with me, it takes 10 or 11 years before I'm bitter enough <laughs> for that stuff to, to need to come out, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's yeah, I mean, City of Bohan was written around 2009-10 when I was kind of gone out of Cork for about 10 years or so. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. it uses very much the feeling of, of small, demented, actual Irish cities, mm. you know. Um and and, and uh, Beetlebone, I don't know what it came out of in that kind of directly. But I found it very often with short stories that um, any kind of inciting event in my own life, it'll tend to be eight or nine or ten or eleven years back before it starts to show up. Mm. Like it's very hard to write a story about, you know, why she left me six months ago, uh, yeah, <laughs> or what happened last month or last yeah. week. You know, it's too soon. Right. Um, and a very good trick actually is if you're struggling and if you feel in any way blocked and you want to write something or make something is try and picture exactly to the month 10 years ago and what was your big problem? <laughs> what was the thing that was consuming every yeah. hour and, and it's probably yeah. something that seems tiny yeah. in retrospect but that's probably been sat there long enough yeah. now that Fermented. you can get material yeah. Yeah. fermenting or, or composting yeah. is a gardening <laughs> term all the gases are going <laughs> to coming in it you know so it's um, yeah perspective and time but like I'd written two two and a half three kind of fail novels that I knew weren't going anywhere before I um, wrote City of Bohan um, but the first morning that was up on the desk I knew straight away oh yeah this is grand this will be published um, I, kn I knew it was I was ready to write it right I'd, I'd seen enough kind of gangster films and I'd right, read yeah. enough graphic novels yeah. and I'd read enough Anthony Burgess and enough Flann O'Brien to have all those influences ready to use you know whereas um, it didn't feel like that with previous attempts right. at novels it was really a stretch whereas um yeah, but but it is it is the trick is is to recognize what should be on your desk at any given time, and and I, I found as well you can't store the idea up for later. You know, when you get so, like I found this with short stories. If I get an idea for one, I have to um kind of drop everything and write it. Then you can't right. put it in yeah. the notebook and go back to it in yeah. in six months time. You have to get it on the fly. You yeah. know, while it's while it's current in there. What's it like when uh? a director picks up and you're not involved picks up one of your short stories and wants to make a film of it are you a, are you a film fan do you watch a lot of films I do yeah yeah. yeah. What like what, I suppose two part question what do you 
what's your kind of take on, on modern cinema and is there a lot of good stuff you made and how do you feel when a director wants to make a movie of something of yours and yeah. and and you have no kind of sure. further input um on 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 current cinema yeah i go a lot uh, i mean and i watch a lot on 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 dvd and netflix or whatever but it's um like a, my my most ferocious period of of consuming films and stuff i'd say it was late teens truth about mid 20s mm. i was still watching an incredible amount of stuff and i think it's this, it that kind of age is when really formative influences are going in and the stuff you like in your late teens and early 20s tends to be your most important stuff always you know yeah. so a lot of my really favorite things are from films i would have uh, watched around then things like paris texas and badlands and kind of all that stuff mm. lots of 70s us things right. um lots of things like wings of desire Vim vendors i don't know i mean i i see some great stuff now and you go to the IFI or whatever, you know, or you or you get the DVD. But it's um, I always think it's 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 become so much cheaper to shoot stuff now and to make stuff that there should be way more really good stuff happening mm. yeah. than there is, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It 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 obviously feels like we've been through a period where 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 the very best stuff has been in television rather than in film. I I have a feeling that's peaked now. You right. Know? I think there was a golden era kind of starting yeah. with things like The Sopranos, Sopranos and yeah. The Wire yeah, I think you're right, yeah. going up to kind of Breaking Bad but since there's been nothing as dramatically yeah. attractive has there you know that you've had yeah. to go and see Well, um, I, I haven't been watching but I know a lot of people are watching Game of Thrones and uh, Amer- House of Cards yeah. now I don't know how good they are because I haven't watched them but I think they're fine kind of right. you know yeah. but I just don't think they're quite at the very no top level where it was for a few years Connor here's the biggest Sopranos fan on the planet I'm so. a huge Sopranos <laughs> fan as well yeah. and, 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 and stole viciously from it for a bit <laughs> oh really <laughs> and stole loads from Deadwood actually that was another you've heard that's good I've never actually watched Deadwood oh, Deadwood is great is Deadwood it? is a really great series but it's um, you kind of sense that that, that golden area era is kind of gone as as regards my own stuff I'm, I'm, I'm I love the idea of making people making films of them, and you, you kind of take potluck and off you go. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know, I've been pretty happy with more or less everything I've right. seen, just from the awe seeing stuff on the screen. Yeah, uh, I've been directly involved with a couple of the short films, as in I've written the scripts for them. Right. Um, and 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 that's been great fun. I I I I really like um, I really like to see actors working. Yeah. I'm kind of a frustrated actor myself, and I I, I love to um see them have funny lines and have good yeah. lines you know <laughs> but it's um, it, it, it's great again I, I think it's such a nice break from book stuff you know to mm. go out and see actual people <laughs> at work on actual things yeah, you know, yeah, rather yeah. than this kind of tentative scratching things down <laughs> that you do at home uh, I've seen you um, describe yourself as a frustrated actor before what do you actually mean by that? Yeah, I think um, well, well, when I started reading, doing readings uh, after the first book of stories came out, it it quickly became apparent to me one that I enjoyed doing it, but also that the stuff worked well yeah. aloud, you know, right. and that people liked hearing it. Um, so it was very natural then to start to write short scripts and short plays and things like that, mm. and to think, and increasingly now I, I am I'm very often thinking about actors as I, as I sit down at the desk to write something. Um, but yeah, I know I've I've huge sympathy for actors, especially for for stage actors because it's it's a tough old life, you know. Mm. I mean, they don't get paid mm. very well, mm. and very often they're around the country and saying ruling schedules, ruling schedules, saying old B and Bs, 
you know, and they do it because they have to. Mm. You know, it's really vocational. They have to do it. Yeah. Like, and, and I have great admiration for that, and and a great desire to give them good material. You yeah, know, yeah. And to write for them, I I wouldn't have the discipline to be a stage actor. Where I've I've done a couple of pieces of my own for radio and stuff, which are one-off performances, and that's great. And I've really enjoyed doing that with RT and things. But it's um, th- those actors who go out and do it every night. You know, it's really awe-inspiring. Mm. Um. And actually, we were, just to go back into, we were talking about films and stuff and, and, and TV, and maybe it's not a glorious era for film, but I do think there's amazing actors around. Yeah. I yeah, do think there's true. some fantastic acting talent out there. I, I can watch anything with Mark Rylance in it. He's great, isn't uh, he? Were you delighted when he won the Oscar? I was, yeah. yeah. And I actually, I thought in terms of a filmed adaptation of a literary work, Wolf Hall was, was really sets the standard, you know, the BBC yeah. I haven't watched that. Yeah, haven't seen Wolf Hall's one of my favourite really books. Great. I love... Really? Oh, it's terrific. Uh, yeah, the, the two of them. I love, love yeah, both of them. Fabulous um, books, but it, it just... Uh, he, he he gives an amazing central performance as Thomas yeah. Cromwell in them. But I think I won't, watch th- I won't watch that, I think, until I read the third book. And then yeah, and which then is... It. And it's interesting. I heard her in an interview, Hilary Mantel, saying she's struggling with it. Oh, third really? Book, because she can't get him out of her mind as she's that's what I was wearing and I was going to ask you about actor. that actually yeah, I, I could see it happening you yeah know, the, the actor has completely got into her mm. her mind and yeah he does it brilliantly well that's a credit to Mark yeah. Rylance but I, I was wondering about that because y- you were talking off mic beforehand about City of Bohan 2 which yeah. I'm incredibly excited about um, but I'm also aware that there's supposed to be a film or somebody has bought the rights anyway oh it's City of Parallel Bohan. Productions and it has been a very right. good Irish company for, for since the book came out um, mm. the latest I heard was that it was more they were trying to develop it as a TV okay. product um, so we live in hope how um, do you think that might affect you then writing a sequel if oh well, well writing a sequel hopefully helps the whole process along you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's more material out there but it was um, yeah it was really interesting to see Hilary Mantel talk about that about seeing Mark Rylance as her character mm. has kind of hampered her in some way for, right. for, for, for the third book that's supposed to be coming but actually Will Fall talking about that it was a really um, it was a book I was thinking a lot about writing writing Beetlebone in a weird way because she uses the present tense brilliantly in it yeah. you know it's all told in, it's a historical story yeah. told in the present tense and it just works yeah. brilliantly yeah. where she, she described it as putting the ca- a camera behind the eyes of the main character mm. and just going like that for it you know um, and it was it was very very helpful to me um, mm. writing Beetlebone as well but, but what I love about her as well is she's funny you know they're actually very funny books yeah, yeah. Um, and all my favourite literature or fiction is at some level funny is at some level comedy yeah. Um, and uh, yeah she's she's a tremendous writer who are the uh, the Irish writers that you do you look up to any Irish writers or um, I, know, I, I know you I heard you talk before about how you're, you don't see yourself as an Irish writer or you don't do Irish writing as, as such <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to do some Irish writing yeah um <laughs> But uh, I don't but know. You know I, what I, mean. I, I, geez, I was just away there for. Um, I was away for about a month in Berlin, and I brought a few books, and I brought the late Dermot Healy's novel, A Goat Song, and blown away by it again. Hadn't read it since the nineties when it came out, and he was a great writer. Sadly, died the other year. Um, but 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 fabulous book. Um, I mean, I think in the in the, in the second half of the, of the twentieth century. Irish writers were really struggling with with these two kind of contrary influences of Joyce and Beckett that were there, you know. Mm. 
and it was like Catholic pros and Protestant pros, you know, <laughs> stained glass windows, everything goes down on the page or an austere little Protestant chapel where everything is removed <laughs> and pared away and peeled back. And it was like, which direction do you take, you know? And, and I always like to think that there was a third way, which is the kind of Flan O'Brien approach where you kind of take the piss out of everything mm. and make fun of it. Um, I don't know, as, as I, I must say, though, as I get a bit older and as I mature into handsome middle age that I am, um, <laughs> I do like to read Beckett stuff more than I used to when I was huh. when I was trying it in my twenties. Yeah. Oh yeah, grand. But um, you get more out of it, and he he's very been reading the letters of Samuel Beckett, and they're very impressive. He seems he was a very good friend to people. He seemed like a very decent man, a very kind person. Um, but also his whole bleakness, misery stuff. You can see there's an amount of it as kind of shtick. Yeah. <laughs> it's his routine yeah. oh god you know <laughs> I have cysts again I was always a great one for cysts you know this kind of stuff and you can see he's actually making fun of it a lot of the time but um, definitely yeah I, I kind of like the really paired back world of that stuff more so as it now than I did when I was younger but um, I don't know I mean most importantly to me I'd say when I was trying to write first in a serious way in my 20s were, were probably more American writers um, and American Jews specifically I was convinced I was the next great American Jewish novelist <laughs> down in Cork with my ginger hair um, I was reading Saul Bellow and Philip Roth and stuff like that <laughs> and wanting to write like that because it had such vitality sentence by sentence and page by page mm-hmm. um, but you know I think that probably the mistake that I made as a as an emerging writer in my 20s was I didn't read broadly enough mm. and I think you should read loads Mm. of different types of things and let it all mangle together and maybe give you your own style out of that. And I, w- I would tend to be obsessed with one writer for a while and then mm. you end up copying, you know, and you mm. end up making kind of pastiche versions of a Saul Bellow novel or a James Elroy book or something like that. Um, but I, th- I definitely think for any writer of, of, of my age and, and chronology, television and film is, and music and comic books are just as important mm. as, as literary influences. Yeah. And and the stuff, to go back again, the stuff that goes in in your late teens and early 20s, you know, tends to be the formative mm. kind of stuff. So when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was into David Lynch films mm-hmm. and Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And I was into Pixies Records. Right. And going to Sir Henry's down in Cork and taking loads of yolks <laughs> and doing loads of acid. <laughs> and, and so these are formative things. You know, yeah, yeah. All your experience comes out of that. Um, all your everything you're going to bring to the books, I think, ultimately comes out of those late teens, early twenties moments. And the kind of scary thing now is, if I was in my late teens or early twenties now, would I be reading loads of novels? Would I be, you know? Watching French films like and I was oh, I, see. But we, I I I I just worry now about um You'd be playing Candy Crush or something. Would you just be on the fucking internet all day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially. You know what I mean? Um and I, I I don't know, you know, how that's going to affect our storytelling genes, really. Yeah. You know, if it just it definitely makes you more impatient. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And and you have to I mean, it's, it's definitely going to change the way we tell stories. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and the stories that are going to be told, like, you know... Yeah, like... You, and it, you do worry it, about that generation, the, the, this current... I, I Not just that generation, I worry about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm online as much as anyone. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if you read, if you take a, a classic old Russian novel now, right? Yeah. A war and peace effort or a Dostoevsky or anyone, 
And what you find is you have to give those books about 80, 90, 100 pages before you get into them. Mm. Right. And readers were patient like that. They would give the novelist yeah. 80, 90 pages and go along and suddenly they were hooked and into yeah. it. But it would take. Mm. They're not going to give you that now. And that yeah. really changes the way you write a novel. So, so you know, you, you have to get them now in five pages. Yeah. Or they'll fuck it across the room and they'll go playing Candy Crush. Yeah. Or they'll look at jumping cats and the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's also the thing, you see, the internet is a very egotistical place to be it's all about you yeah. when you're online mm -hmm. it's your reaction to things and here's what I'm doing and here's where I'm going and it's all about me then you have to pick up a novel or something and you're passive suddenly hang on where do I get my say mm -hmm. where, where, where you know I don't get the comments you know <laughs> I don't get the, the, the comments the, at the end of the book <laughs> you know so it's kind of uh, I mean I don't worry about um, storytelling as a thing because we need it as as humans because our our lives are disaster generally and shapeless, messy fucking things and we need to put shape <laughs> in them and that's why we tell stories about them and put yeah. narratives on them. But the way we do that is, is going to is going to change. The Japanese read on their phones all the time. We don't. The Japanese like read fiction mm. on their phones. You yeah. Know? And there's a whole thing there now where there's this kind of short formish fiction where like very short, like 80 page novels kind yes, of they read yeah. on their phones. Um, and then the other thing, of course, I, I, I must say, as, as a reader myself, I'm increasingly drawn. I love to see a short novel. <laughs> I love to see yeah. a 180 page or thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Couple of hours. Then, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll get down. That's true. I'll I mean, well, that, but, some, but then you go in something like those Hilary Mantel books you talk about. And I didn't go at them for ages, actually, because I saw yeah. the first few pages are this list of characters. Yeah. And there's five pages. Oh, I'm not going to be able, able for that. Yeah. My brain <laughs> is too adult. Yeah. But uh, when you go into them, you go, mm -hmm. oh, this is what novels are like. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of reminded, oh, Jesus, this is amazing. Yeah. It completely lifts you yeah. out of your world and puts you down in a, a mode of transport, I always say. Oh, it takes you from one world and, and puts you into another. But it's, um, yeah, I, I, I wrote an essay about internet addiction for the Dublin Review here. Um, and it's only actually often when you write, start writing it down, you realise how much these things are occupying your thoughts, you know. Um, and what it does to us as 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 an awful word, but consumers of stories is, is very interesting, I think, because there's no doubt that we're much more impatient from being online. Mm -hmm. And it's the one thing, actually, I, I, I know I can't do in the mornings or, or I won't write. Is I can't yeah. go online. Yeah. You know, if I start and I have to do all sorts of things now, like locking the Internet dongle into the car and crazy <laughs> stuff. <like that>. Taking <laughs> a handbrake yeah. off and yeah. pushing it down the road. It doesn't reach the shed. <laughs> yeah. Wi-Fi doesn't reach the shed. No, it's a perfect. fucking great thing. You know? <laughs> So I have to do what I call the walk of shame through <laughs> the yard and enter the house and upstairs to check my email. But it's uh, <laughs> if you go online first thing in the morning, if the iPhone is reached for on the bedside table and you start checking stuff, you're immediately into online mode, which is yeah. very flitty. It's very impatient. Yeah. Great fun. It's very hard not to do it as well. Like, you know, hard. Your alarm is on your phone. You turn oh, it off yeah. and then it's just like, oh, what's going on? You have to buy an alarm clock. I keep yeah. saying it to writing students. Yeah. Buy an alarm <laughs> clock. Because if, you know, what I, uh, I'm pretty good now at, at convincing myself of this thing. I've just tried to convince myself in my head, actually, they, the internet starts at 12 o'clock mm. every day. Oh, it right. gets turned on <laughs> up in the sky <laughs> by the sky god at 12 o'clock. It, it's not there until 12 o'clock. <laughs> and even if you can keep that two or three hours in the morning clear, it's a it's great thing, you know. Mm. Um, there's definitely a reaction. I've noticed, I, I was talking probably years ago, even now, to a crowd in um NCAD young art students very cool crowd early 20s yeah. art students and I noticed the big thing with them was oh no we're not on Facebook anymore yeah, we're yeah. not on Twitter <laughs> yeah. anymore mm. we're, you know it's kind of a reaction so it's vinyl records and it's kind yeah. of you know 
but I, I don't know. It's it's. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there are some certain nineteen-year-old geniuses out there who figure out yeah how to use I this technology of. in a storytelling way. But I, I don't know whether it's like one of the things definitely is we still, as we're doing a podcast, we might as well talk about them a little bit. But I still think people like to hear stories. Yeah. yeah. And love the art of quality. So mm. things like cereal and all these things yeah, that have yeah. become such phenomena. Yeah. You know, it's because it's the one thing that can still slow our little mad, crazy moving yeah. brains down is the human voice. Yep. When we hear a story well told, it's still got oh, okay. And that'll calm us down yeah. a bit. And I was gonna say, so. do you ever like when you were um, oh, I do the we, audiobooks we, we, myself. Yeah, and I'm very, say, very into them, and uh, they don't sell much audiobooks. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not a huge thing. People, I, I, I listen to audiobooks. I'd say I go through a book a week. I think, it, I think they're growing. I think yeah. they're definitely growing. Because you put them on the car, you know, if you're yeah, they're great on your way to like, work and you're a bit stressed or whatever, you can I, stick I, it on. I, I, I think they're very variable in quality. Yeah, yeah it depends on who's reading it and how to produce them. So I've done ones for Bohan and for Beetlebone, and I made a point that I had to do it myself. I wasn't leaving anyone. Right, do, I didn't, do I didn't a fucking Bohan accent you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I did them myself but it's um, when you were reading it there earlier on I did think because we had the pleasure of uh, hearing you recite some of the book earlier I thought God you you, you must do some of these uh, audio books yeah but I, I I definitely think it's it's that that's one of the things that can slow us down still you know the voice and maybe that there's some sort of um, I don't know future in some sort of fictional version of a podcast or something like that I don't know what it is but it's um, the Headstuff podcast there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on 10% of that if you if you, if you just get it going but it's, uh, yeah yeah I, 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 I know it's it's, it's um, in some ways like the the, the just the advantage of, 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 of to be able to be online as writer is fantastic you know hmm. Um you know, when I was writing Beetlebone and when I go upstairs in the afternoon and turn on the internet or when it was turned on by God yeah. in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'd be writing about some derelict hotel out in Ackle or something and I'd be able to summon up loads of stuff about it. That's mm. an amazing thing to be yeah, able to do course. that, you know. And it's brilliant. Loads of people tweet about my books and stories and stuff mm-hmm. like that and word gets spread around. So it's, it's you know, the internet is infinite, Jude. Yeah. You know, it contains all things good and bad. Right. So it is, it is amazing and it's terrible at the same time do you have a uh, private twitter account where you can go and have a look no, at what I people are saying man. no uh, but you know it's very hard to tell you when a book comes out yeah and people are talking it's very hard not to do the old search yeah <laughs> and of course you quickly go fucking mad because you know? <laughs> there'll be 90 amazing comments and there'll be one fucker yeah, in yeah. Offaly or someplace who doesn't like it and you bastard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get him gotta yeah. take his address down <laughs> cycled Offaly get that guy cycled <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's it's, it's <laughs> trying to steer clear of Google and Twitter search is a great idea but it's um, hmm. all writers look like you all, have, all have a little peek now and again <laughs> but I don't know it's, it's, it's a strange time you know I do think like there's so much possible with like like we were saying earlier you know you can make a really decent quality film on your iPhone now mm-hmm. so why aren't we all out making yeah. <laughs> films on our yeah, iPhones yeah. you know I talked actually the musician Adrian Crowley who I know a bit He's made amazing um, little documentaries on his okay. iPhone, you know, tour diaries and stuff like this. Well, we've been talking about doing something, but it's um, I, I you know very often I I love to read biographies actually of filmmakers and stuff, mm. and you read about them make, trying to make films in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, and God, it took so much money <laughs> and so yeah. much equipment and so many connections were needed, and it was so hard to do it. And you think now you have it in your pocket, <laughs> you know, you have you have 
technology they couldn't dream about mm -hmm. doing really good quality stuff yeah it's amazing and I was like oh Jesus you know we should be using that way more and I guess people are but um, I don't know yeah I mean there is some I mean even very very short things I don't know if you are aware of Snapchat or something but yeah. I mean I don't think it's I don't think it's quite I don't think it's quite reached what it can reach in terms of quality but yeah. there are some very very I saw, funny things I mean I saw, yeah. I saw I saw Brian Eno talking about about <coughs> online culture and technology and stuff and, and like like he's obviously a very very smart guy and you always pay attention to what he's saying about something and he was saying app culture as he calls it yeah. as a general term for what you can do with technology he says that's basically where that is now is where silent movies were right you yeah know, that's where he sees it you right. know it's like the 20s right. it's like the 1920s and it's in a hundred years you'll have Batman versus Superman and rapid <laughs> God you know <laughs> <laughs> rapid developments will go in all sorts of unexpected directions but it's um, I mean I, I think the good thing for writers is is, is you realise that behind whatever kind of technology or anything there is you know the content is needed yeah. and, and the stories are needed I, I feel like I, I think I take a more optimistic view of the whole of the whole thing the whole internet I mean I, I know there is this the fear that nobody has an attention span anymore and yes. everybody's flicking from one thing to another but I kind of feel like there's actually there's more content now so people are reading more yeah. than they used to so people before who maybe wouldn't read now even if they're flitting through they're reading and the oh, people it's true. I mean, what you're doing on the internet all reading. the time is you're reading. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and the people who want to read and want to read novels and, and want to you know get into deeper articles find them and, and do read them. Mm. So I, I I feel like overall there's actually more reading. Yeah. And 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 the people who had the the the, the smaller attention span, if you want, are maybe more pronounced now than they were. They have yeah. they have like a platform for people to see them on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. But actually, actually no, I think it's a good point. And and I saw something that that agent guy. Um, famous kind of nasty literary agent Andrew Wiley the jackal he's called but he made a very good point he was in literary <coughs> fiction mm. he said it's always been read by what he called an effete minority <laughs> he said it's always been about 5% of the population mm. who's bothered with literary fiction mm. with sort of Booker Prize books or with James Joyce it's always been 5% he said maybe that might go down the yeah. three or four percent you know what I mean but, you know it's 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 never been like everyone was reading Ulysses and now they're on playing video games yeah. you know I mean? <laughs> yeah. so so we do get kind of um, overly dramatic about I suppose yeah. about it uh, but I, I do definitely feel it changed you as a writer as well you know yeah um, I, tend to, I tend to write lots of things that are broken up into very small <laughs> little sections and chunks now you know but then any piece of technology might change you. I mean, when people used to write with a pen and paper sure. or, or before that a quill and then, you know, later a typewriter or like presses. Was, or, you know. um, my pal, Irish writer Julian Goff, mm. has talked about this as like novels are essentially, they come out of Victorian technology, essentially mm. out of print and presses that were there then. And this was the kind of write, you know, a novel would be written in 12 monthly installments in a magazine. Yeah. And by the time it was finished and come out in a book, it would be about 200 odd pages. So that's, purely down to the technology that was there at the time. And then 200 odd pages is no more an, uh, a normal length for a novel than 100 pages is or than mm. 1,200 pages is, mm -hmm. you know. So it's one of the things actually in, 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 in that's very evident, I think, is, is the length of a, a story doesn't really matter as much as it used to. Mm. I mean, I think I've always thought that the novella, a story of about 100 pages, mm. was actually really attractive, yeah. you know, size yeah. for, for, for a book because there are some ideas that, you know, they're, they're too much for a short story but they're not enough to sustain into a 250, 300 mm. page novel. Mm -hmm. But it's um, that the publishing industry just didn't want 
a hundred page books you know didn't know what to do with them but that's kind of changed you know yeah um so i i i, I would predict we're going to have a an era where there'll be kind of 80 90 100 page yeah. books coming out more and more so you know you see it already with things like um a great book last year by max porter called grief is the thing with feathers yes real strange mishmash of styles and everything <coughs> really really powerful book and he, i was talking to him and he was saying it's about 14 or fifteen thousand words you know it's uh, it's, it's and it's about a hundred pages or something yeah. like that. So it's yeah. a very interesting idea to uh, that. And I sometimes think now people want to give to a book at the same time they'll give to like an indie movie or something. Mm. Two hours, you yeah. Know? yeah. If I can get through this in two hours, I'll give it to you. Because yeah. you know the fact is, there's loads of loads and loads of amazing stuff out there in every genre mm-hmm. and in every form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's so much <laughs> YouTube could occupy yeah. you know, the rest of yeah. the rest of your life with <clears throat> cool stuff to look at. Yeah. And really informative stuff and really interesting stuff. And there's so many good books, so many good records, so much good T V. There's a lot know, of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's why sometimes you see an eight hundred page novel come in the door and you go, Oh fuck like Yeah. 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 <laughs> that means there's another <clears throat> ten things I can't read or something yeah. like yeah. that. So it's well, I, I do feel with long. I'm I'm attracted to short novels as well. Not mm. that not that I only read them, but uh, there there is a bit of if something is that long, it's like did the writer need to make it that long? Could they maybe have yeah. done another draft in another cut? I mean, Wolf Hall is is I suppose yeah uh, needs to be that long. I think I generally feel when I read novels, I think <coughs> all of them could lose fifty pages. Really, almost, yeah. you know what I mean? You you always feel that, but it's it's uh, the reason I don't read fantasy because I think all of them they just go on. Yeah, I think all yeah. of them can be cut in more than half. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think Wolf Hall is kind of an exception to a rule there, really. I mean, and, and Beetlebone is it's is pretty very short. short. Yeah, yeah it it's goes out over the pages because it's lots of white space. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, a few reviewers and stuff have commented on my my technique with white space on the page, and very very impressive. And it's basically because I didn't know how to change the settings <laughs> <laughs> on my laptop, right? <laughs> And this is just the way it was. And, and the editors actually looked at it and went, yeah, very interesting yeah, use yeah. of white space. I went, yeah. yeah. And I was kind of used to looking at it like this as well. And so that's, yeah. that's the way it is. I shouldn't be letting that on. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be the headline now on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, just uh, maybe one more question before I let you go. Just about just about the actual, uh, your job, I suppose. How much yeah. of your job is actually writing as opposed to promo interviews, oh, you know? Yeah. Uh, mo- no, most of the time really is 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 going to the shed in the morning um you know a book comes out every two or three years and there's kind of a mad month or something mm-hmm. where you're going around doing stuff mm-hmm. um and odd things here and there but mostly it's me and me in the shed right um and i go in there i'm pr- like i'm pretty disciplined now you know i get up and the internet hasn't been turned on by god yet so i can go <laughs> down to the shed and i i, I kind of st- Usually in there, but not far after nine-ish, maybe ten, and I'm there till kind of one or two, right. usually. Uh, but I'm not writing for four hours, yeah. so, but I'm there, and yeah. I'm available to it. So if an idea comes, I'll be there. And and, and and it's, you know, it's 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 saying that you're going to write fiction, or you're going to make music, or you're going to paint pictures. It's, it's all stuff that's going to come from your subconscious, really. So what you're doing is you're making an arrangement, you're making a deal with your own subconscious. You're going to go, give me stuff. Give me material and my part of the arrangement is I'll be there and I'll be available to it and I'll show up and I'll be a pro. And I, I, I'm I'm pretty good now about going in there. And I go in there six or seven days a week. Um, and if, you know, there's some, what you notice is actually if I'm in there six days a week, there's probably one day where it seems to be going well. <laughs> um, most days feel quite slow and sludgy and you don't feel like you've got very much done. 
Um, but then often after a few of those days, suddenly the hand is kind of moving across the page right. and it feels fairly effortless, you know. But you realise the real writing days are the slow ones. That's mm. when it's all kind of mm. sifting and arranging itself at the back of your mind. And that's when it's kind of getting ready to kind of come out and there's no shortcut. And you, do, do you, you handwrite? You have to go through the slow days, you know. Do you actually handwrite with pen and paper? I do a lot of the time on first yeah. drafts, yeah. yeah. It, it kind of just slows it down a small bit right, yeah. compared to typing. Right. And it's kind of it's kind of nice to have a kind of a tool making, yeah, <laughs> making yeah. marks, you know, on, yeah. on, on the page. But it's... Um, you did. You definitely learn fundamentally that there's no kind of shortcut to it. You have to go through the really slow days. And I mean, like the weird thing is literary talent. It's it's not rare. There's loads of it around. Mm. Lots of people can write great sentences and come up with great characters and come up with great stories. But I think what's more unusual is to have that married to the pragmatic streak that keeps you going into the room every day when you're not in the mood mm. to do it and it makes you show up when you'd rather do anything else, really. Mm. Um, those two combined are quite rare. And I, I definitely had to teach myself the, the, the discipline, you know? Yeah. Um, in my 20s, I knew I could write very good sentences and stuff, mm. but um, I didn't have the discipline, and I had to kind of bait that into myself, really, over did, the years. Did journalism help with that? I think it training. does, actually, at, at some level, yeah. It, yeah. it shows you you can always kind of write something. Right. No matter what kind of condition you're in or yeah. what you've been up to the night before, yeah. you can always kind of get words down on paper. And it does mm. take some of the kind of preciousness maybe out of it a bit. You mm. don't sit around so much waiting for inspiration. You go in and start doing it, you know. Um, but yeah, but yeah, those, 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 those slow days have to be gone through and the kind of dreary days yeah. where it's raining and you're looking out and you're kind of drooling, you know. <laughs> yeah, three or four of those will often give you that great day where you get suddenly you have a thousand words down and you haven't had to think about it. Okay. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you so uh, thanks a million for coming into us thanks a million thanks guys it's been great fun thanks a lot cheers so that was Kevin Barry on the Headstuff podcast uh, did you enjoy that Connor? I really did I did too he's he's my new friend <laughs> Yeah, it's like we had yeah. just a new little friend there for an hour and a half, and then he left. Like, Come yeah, back. I'm kind of heartbroken. Uh, he's talking about writing City of Bohan 2, which is so exciting. Um, City of Bohan. I'm excited at the fact that he said that he narrates, he, he did the um, narration of. He his does his own audiobooks. audiobooks. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I never listened to his audiobooks, so I must. I'm definitely getting. Which one are you going to get? Uh, recommend which one I should actually get on audio. Um, I. If you're not getting short, if you're getting one of the novels, I'd say probably get City of Bohan first, but definitely get Beetlebone at some stage. Okay. Uh, City of Bohan it is. City of Bohan, okay. Um, but be aware it's mad, but great. Oh, it sounds amazing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and comment on it on iTunes. Uh, it really, really makes a huge difference. Um, just tell us what you think of the podcast. Uh, give us five stars. If you're feeling particularly mean, four will do. Yeah. But I'd prefer five. Yeah, four is a bit scabby. Yeah. Anything below five is... Anything below five, yeah. You're a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Don't be a dick. Um, so uh, if you're interested in the Headstuff Podcast and the Headstuff Podcast Network, uh, you can join the Headstuff Podcast Network group on Facebook if you just search for that. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, read headstuff.org every day and subscribe after to... All, after 12. And subscribe to all of our podcasts. Headstuff.org and the Headstuff Podcast Network needs your help. If you like what we do and you enjoy our podcasts and want to help us survive and thrive, please consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com forward slash headstuff and pledge as little as $1 a month 
which is even less than one euro. There are loads of rewards that you can receive based on what you pledge. Another way to support us is to tell more people about the website and podcast. Share our stuff on your social media. Tell your friends. Look out for other podcasts on the Heads of Podcast Network. I've told you about Fascinated with Grode Farley before, but we've launched two new podcasts. Juvenalia, hosted by Alan McGuire, and No Encore, hosted by Dave Hanrady. Both of these podcasts charted in the top 10 in their first week. They're really, really good, so please go and subscribe to those two and leave a rating and a nice comment. If you'd like to win this beautiful signed hardback copy of Kevin Barry's Beetlebone, you have to do two things. First, go to iTunes and leave a comment and a rating, and we know how many comments there are, so we'll know if you're cheating. Um, a comment about the Headstuff podcast, and then go to second, go to Twitter or Facebook and tell us that you've commented and rated and that you want to win the book. So that's it. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back with more episodes soon. Thanks. Bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.